I have, um, how many years have you been doing this meeting now? Twelve? Twelve. I have been privileged to be a part of every one of these meetings here. Um, I don't feel any ownership or a partnership or share in the meeting, but I do feel uh, a connection. I have been privileged to be a part of every one of these meetings. I appreciate the fact that there is a liberty granted here that is not granted in many of the places that attempt to have meetings. They schedule God down to the minute and it doesn't matter what happens. You got to go on. The next guy's get on the, got to get on the floor. We understand here that you may or may not get to speak. That we are subject to the will of God and the move of God. And uh, I am sandwiched uh, between two guys that make me feel really little. Between uh, Brother David Shatwell and Brother Mark Morgan. Uh, they're pretty good sized guys, naturally and spiritually to say the least. But this is what's been working, and I appreciate that opportunity. If this is your first meeting, I want you to know that we do not discuss with each other in advance what we're going to speak. But I have never been to one of these meetings that when it was over with, it didn't seem like somebody assigned subjects. And uh, the Lord had been, <laughs> Tuesday morning, we came in Monday night, Tuesday morning I woke up and I was trying to be as quiet as possible and uh, not wake up my wife and the Lord began to, he spoke something to me, he began to talk to me about something and I hurriedly went to the computer, started writing down the things he was telling me and I, I had intentions of uh, it's going to be my turn at home on Monday night. We have Monday night church, and so uh, it was my intention to to do this on Monday night at home. You know, because we know that you're not supposed to do a brand new subject in a conference. But since it's already been said, we're not here to preach. We are here to minister. I was sitting there last night as Brother Mitchell began to speak. And, 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 the, and the Lord said this to me. He said, how many people do you think there are sitting in this place tonight who came with an expectancy to hear a rhema through this word for them personally versus those that just came to hear a good sermon? How many... How many people, he said to me, how many people do you think there are sitting here who expect their lives to be different because they heard this message tonight? This was just as you were getting started. And I said, Lord, I can't answer from anybody else, but don't let me. 
be in the category of someone in the stands just listening to another message. But let me listen for your voice speaking to me. And let me mix faith with that rhema in my heart so that when I leave here, I'm different. And as that was taking place, uh, the Lord did begin to speak to me. He spoke to me some very specific things, specifically through the Word of God. And it was very beneficial to me, helpful to me. Uh, in addition to that, he clarified to me that he didn't give me these thoughts on Tuesday morning for a later time. I don't know how it works with you, but usually for me, my revelations do not come from a tape or a book. My revelations come from prayer. A thought will come. God will begin to just begins the pieces just start fitting together. And I'll go study that a little bit, but I never get the fullness of the revelation the way God's trying to say it to me until I am put in a position where I can begin to minister it and just listen. Just hear and repeat, hear and repeat, hear and repeat. Because he always puts it together different than my intellect. I've learned to not come to conclusions on things through study. Because you can't keep intellect out of that. So I usually wait to not finalize or begin to really formalize the things as far as putting them in notes and things so I can remember things that God is giving me until after I've had a chance to minister it a few times because God always puts it together in a completely different way. So I'm telling you all that. I'm not apologizing for doing it. I'm not embarrassed to do this. I am saying this to you today. Uh, it would have been impossible for there to have been a more relevant message before what I'm about to impossible, be impossible. I, I do need to say just a couple more things here. If you are a traditional Pentecostalist, uh, the bathroom's available. Uh, you you probably could find coffee someplace close by. Uh, come back in an hour and a half or so. Brother Morgan will be here. You might find something of interest there. I'm not being facetious. I'm being honest. Because if you are a traditional Pentecostalist, and I am not. There's a difference between tradition and truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Tradition is not equivalent to truth. In fact, in the Bible, it is totally contrary to truth. The greatest threat to truth is tradition, custom, heritage. I have no allegiance to Pentecostal heritage, even though I have grandchildren who are fifth generation 
United Pentecostals. I've said this before, but I'm trying to establish something here. We know for sure that the first apostolic church in northwest Florida was started in my grandmother's living room. My mother's mother's living room. My wife's grandfather was one of the first people to baptize anybody in Jesus' name in the state of Mississippi. I'm, I'm doing what Paul did. I'm trying to tell you my heritage. Okay? But I'm not here following heritage today. I'm here trying to follow the Bible. And there's a whole lot of stuff that we do that we consider innocent that God hates. Because it's in the way of what He's trying to do. And somewhere along the line, every person of God is going to have to decide whether they love the Word of God and the truth that's in it or their their customs, their traditions, their heritage. You can't have both. Why? I was sharing this with Brother Dylan the other night. And this is not the subject. I'm just trying to lay a foundation of the subject here. I'm working on an article for my website that I've been writing some articles for. And the title of this article is going to be The Foundation Bound Church. You think this is what the church is? Do you think we know anything about the church? Absolutely not. We spent a hundred years working on the foundation. When this building was being built and the foundation was put in, could would you know what this building looked like by looking at the foundation? Leaving therefore the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. That's foundational. Do you know the difference between a foundation and a building? We don't even know what the church is supposed to look like. We spent a hundred years trying to get the foundation right. Now, when I said this stuff when I was 25 and 30, I was a radical. What am I at 61? It it is, I guess it's somewhat reassuring to see that such a large percentage of the home missionaries sitting here have hair similar in color to parts of mine. This is not a young group. You know, this is, it's an awesome thing. A lot of folks our age are too old to learn. You can't tell them anything. Brother Dylan, I'm still trying to learn. I got, I, I told, I told a young man the other day, Brother Mitchell, I've got more questions than I've got answers today. I've got more things I know nothing about that I want to know something about than anything I know anything about. I want to know about stuff. Now, if somebody would tell me where the clearinghouse is, who hands out the labels in our movement, Surely there must be a clearinghouse. 
Because somebody's out there assigning labels. Liberal, conservative, moderate. Somebody tell me where the clearinghouse is, would you? I'd like to apply for a new label. Because I'm not any of those three. Have no interest in being any of those three. I am a restorationist. I am an apostolic restorationist. I have one goal in life until I leave this earth. And that's to personally get as close back to the scripture, to the original, as it's possible to get. If that's not your interest, then I beg your pardon before I begin here. And right now, you don't think what I'm about to say has anything to do with what the man of God just taught. Hang on. Praise God. Let's start here. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The beginning, yes. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he exhort and testify, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then, then, there is a then after getting the Holy Ghost and getting baptized in Jesus' name. There is a then. There is something that's supposed to happen in our lives after we get saved. Getting saved isn't the goal. It's the start. It's not the end. Okay. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 42, please. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship. And that's not eating hamburgers at McDonald's. And in breaking of bread. And in prayers. Now, Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. Something had begun to take place. Something had happened. They went from the Lord adding to the church daily such as should be saved which was the end of chapter 2, to the multiplication of disciples. So I want you to see there was a progression. So we're down the road a ways here. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians among the Hebrew, against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Those are quiet qualifications to be a waiter at God's tables. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But we will give ourselves Continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. God bless you. 
I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. Prayer's finest hour. Prayer's finest hour. Having been in Pentecost all of my life, I am aware of the fact that when you talk about prayer, there's almost an instant image brought up in people's minds of some sessions of just going... Walk back and forth, hallelujah, 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 glory to God, thank you Jesus, hallelujah. It's one of the reasons when we talk about prayer, it turns people off. You can only stomach so much of that. Now, I realize that I have a tendency to be pointed, direct. Brother Godwin says, what are you going to do, shoot a salvo across the bow? No. No, no, no. That's a warning shot. You got all the warning you're going to get. When you fire the salvo across the bow and they do not heed the salvo, the next command from the captain is fire for effect. I've never personally enjoyed wasting good ammo firing shots across the bow. (laughs) So this will be fire for effect. Why? Because whether you get anything out of this or not today at all, I intend to let the Lord speak to me while I'm talking to you because He challenged me Tuesday morning to go to a place I have never abided. I have been there on occasion, Brother Mitchell. I've been there at times, but I didn't stay there very long. I've been there, Brother Shatwell. I've seen the results of it. But it was easy to get busy. Yes, sir. It's easy to get busy. But I want to preach to you a lifestyle. What an awesome message. Awesome message. Because of the preacher? No. It was a word from God. When are we going to quit talking about somebody being a great preacher? Give this boy, excuse me for calling you a boy, he's my buddy, 13 years old. I believe God is able to speak to this young man and speak a word to me and it will be just as much a word to me as if his daddy spoke to me. Thank you. So when are we going to get the personality out of it? When is the competition going to get out of it? The only issue is, am I hearing from God? Is God speaking?
speaking to me. I've heard way too many awesome messages that two days later I couldn't even tell you the text. While I was preaching, I was, I was thinking, wow, what an awesome message. Two days later, I, it didn't matter if I'd have heard it or not. It had no effect in my life. I don't care if you remember what I say today. But if the Holy Ghost could somehow find open hungry hearts and touch and change your life and down the road your life changes and you can't even remember where the change happened or started or was continued along, it doesn't matter, you see. Because what the man preached today is this. This isn't about a competition. I'm going to say some things today that are going to be very contrary to a lot of thoughts we've got. And I don't have the time to biblically back every one of them up. Because if any of you have heard me very much, each one of these things is a major subject. And I don't have time for that. The only thing I can do is sow some seed out there. Because what I want to do, and I want, to, I want you to receive this in advance. I'm not projecting something to you that you more than likely are going to go home and do tomorrow. But what I feel the Lord is doing is giving you a direction. He's giving me a direction. He's giving me a place to desire to get to. I want to go there. This place, I want to go there. I want, I want that place. Um, I'd like to say this to some older people in this room right now. And I can say this now. You know, I thought I was old when I turned 50. <laughs> 50. 50 is nothing. I, know, I, I can't even stand to hear people bellyaching about turning 50. Your world changes at 60. When you're counting down in single digit numbers to 70, you can't even pretend to be young anymore. You can't even talk yourself into being young anymore. Of course, I did play 36 holes Tuesday here in the heat. And I remember walking up the uh, uh, up on one of the greens in the in the fourth nine of the day, thinking, you know, sixty one is just a number, because there are more things that I'm believing for that I have not seen nor received than everything God has done in my life to this day. And if you're sitting here, I don't care how old you are. If you're breathing, if you've retired from all of this, show me that in the book. I want to see that. How, 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 do you how do you retire from a passion? I, I, preaching is not my vocation. It's who I am. I, I, this is my life. If you're breathing, God's not done with you yet. Let me tell you who my, who my example is. 
I'll guarantee you in the last 20 years, from the time, from after the time he turned 70 till the day he died, brother Tom Barnes affected this world in a greater capacity in those last 20 years than he did in his first 70. And you couldn't hardly get him to go anyplace. He, he didn't want to leave Menden. He didn't want to hardly, he wouldn't go anyplace. I tried for years to get him to come to Maryland. Wouldn't go. Was always something. And yet, he affected the world. I'm going to talk about this today. I want to get just, I know I'm getting a little slow, going slow getting there. But you don't, you don't understand how earth shaking this is and kind of get a little bit of trepidation to get into it. Because here's the problem. God is calling us to an understanding and a life of prayer that is so completely different than anything we are thinking about. Here's the problem. As a, as a Pentecostal, if I don't have any needs that are pressing today, how do I pray? I, 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 there are no sins I can think of that I've, the horrible sins I've committed the last couple of days, and, 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 and my bills are paid this week, and uh, I don't feel bad, and my kids are okay, and, and, and the church seems to be doing all right. Yeah, yeah, I could always want more and better, but, but what, how do I pray? How do I get motivated to pray? Hello? The man said it last night. We're not going to have it without prayer. We're not going to have it without prayer. But what kind of prayer? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Help what? I don't know. Just help me, Jesus. Help me endure this hour of prayer so that I can go about my daily life. And after I paid my dues, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. My God. I need up there Luke chapter 12 and verse twenty. One. Oh, these verses have eaten my lunch for years. And we want to make them figurative. And they're as literal as it is possible to be. Listen. So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, so is he that let. That was about the man, the rich man tearing down his barns and building that. That's what the previous part was about. Verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Take, I, take their, therefore I say in, Unto you, take no thought for your life. I'm not only not supposed to pray about my life, I'm not even supposed to take any thought for my life. What you shall eat, neither for your body what you shall put on. What's more basic than something to eat and wear? You want to get somebody praying? Let the cupboard be bare. Been there. I was 24. She was 19 when we went to Annapolis. We didn't know anybody. There was nothing waiting on us. Never had pastored. Didn't know anything we were doing. Had a baby. Nothing in the cupboards to eat. No money. What are we going to do? We're going on visitation. I lie not. I didn't know anything else to do. We're going on visitation. 
There was nobody to ask. Her parents lived in, in Mississippi. My parents lived in Florida. They, they, what were they going? I guess they could have wired us some money. Never crossed my mind. We're going on visitation. Spent a couple of hours on visitation. Came back. There were two bags of groceries sitting on the front porch. To this day, 35 plus years later, we don't know where those groceries came from. That's not all. Everything we needed that was missing was in the bag, the exact brand she bought, including the brand of the infant formula. I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I've prayed about a lot of stuff. I don't even know why that day. I didn't pray about the food. I didn't know what to do. Back up there. Just leave the scripture if you don't mind, brother. I'm going to go down a little ways here. Verse 23. The life is more than meat. The body's more than raiment. Why? I wonder if the number one reason we're not reaching the world, number one, number one, Brother Mitchell, number one, is because when we do pray, it's all about temporal things. We don't pray about things that affect eternity. When we do pray, we only pray about things that affect here and now. I'm a part of an eternal kingdom! I am a partaker of the divine nature. And he can't even take care of me. Twenty-four, please. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Twenty-five. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to, uh, to his stature one cubit? Twenty-six. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, neither. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. 28. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the ovens, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith. 20, 29. And seek ye not. What do we call, what do we call, what do we call prayer? We call it seeking God. Right? Seek ye, seek not ye what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things, all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father, your Father, here it is right here, right here. This is it. Your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Nice verse, but we don't do it. We don't pray like this. 
this. This isn't the way we pray. And again, please, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm, I'm telling you, this is some place I'm not at. This is where God wants me to go. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to frustrate you. I'm just trying to help you to be challenged to realize that God, God, when He lets us go through these times where we don't have this and don't have that and this isn't working, that isn't working, it always has a purpose. There's a purpose. Brother Shatwell told you a part of the story. But uh, this past February, the 18th, I was uh, 61. That is uh, a little over six months ago. I am now four, four years and a little over six months from the, my birthday, the day that the church building collapsed in the snow. What's happening? Well, we finally were able to pr- apply for a permit. We don't have a permit. And I don't have any money to build it with if I had a permit. What are you going to do? I don't know. Frankly, I don't care. It's not my problem. To build what the plan is drawn to build, to even fin- to b- put up the shell and even finish a portion of it. It's going to be eight to ten million dollars. I don't have it. Don't know where to get it. And I sleep very well, thank you. And we, on Sunday mornings, we're spread out all over the place. 18 different locations. On Sunday night, we meet in the high school auditorium. On Monday night, in order, we, we, the, the school part of the building stayed up, tore out a couple of classrooms. And on Monday night, be able to have church in the, the sanctuary we built there. It'll be about 500, seat about 500. We have to have children's church, have 100, 125, 150 kids downstairs. We've been doing that four years. And we've grown by 33% on an off week. Not Easter Sunday. Since the building collapsed. Our church is steady. No promotion. Show up for church. Good Sunday, bad Sunday. 33% larger today than it was the day the building collapsed. Today. Middle of the summer, middle of, middle of the summer, nothing going on right now, but a lot of temperature. We had 834 Sunday morning, middle of the summer. People getting the Holy Ghost every week in a school building. But see, that's not a big deal. Because in our first 12 years in Annapolis, we used 22 different buildings before we ever owned or had an adequate church building. Building that church building is the worst thing we ever did. Slowed revival right up. Kill revival. We had over 200, Brother Cornwell had come to us. We had over 200 Bible studies going when we broke that, broke ground for that building. We built that building ourselves. 
A year and a half later, when it was finished enough to get in, working every night and Saturdays, we had two Bible studies going. We've never recovered from that. But I didn't have much faith. All I saw was the amount. So I thought if we could save a little, save a little money by building it ourselves. And exhausted the people to the point that when it was finished, they didn't have any energy left to do anything. They all wanted to go on vacation and spend some time with their family for a change. Folks, it comes down to this. It, it comes down to this. There, is, there are some foundational things that have to be established in our lives to get to this kind of prayer. And I'm not there yet, and I'm, and I'm assuming most of us are not there yet. But we have to get there. The first thing is, I've got to have a genuine personal relationship with Jesus that is not dependent upon a church service keeping me going, a preaching message keeping me going, somebody else's direction keeping me going. I have got to have a walk with God that is mine, that no matter what anybody else does or doesn't do, I've got to have a walk with God. I cannot live this kind of life. I cannot be involved with the kingdom of God without a relationship with God that doesn't need constant special services and special messages to keep me going. You cannot get to the ultimate place of prayer. You cannot be a part of prayer's finest hour unless you've been with Jesus. That's what happened to the guys that said, we'll give ourselves to prayer and continue to prayer and to the minister of the word. They'd been with Jesus. They had a personal relationship with Jesus. If your relationship is with the church, if your relationship is with the brethren, if your relationship is with the organization, but you don't have an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, forget everything else. You may make converts to a religion, but you're not having revival. You may get, you may come up with some methods and build you a crowd, but you're not having revival. Not gonna happen. Second of all, here's, here's where it is. I had some people ask me, said, Brother Wright, to what do you attribute the growth of Antioch? You know, I've had people say, well, it's because you went to the Naval Academy. Well, then God's really unfair, isn't he? How prejudiced is God? If that's the deal, he sends somebody to the Naval Academy, he doesn't send anybody else. Well, that's not true. We now have five Naval Academy graduates that are pastoring in the United Pentecostal Church. Not counting the other guys that are living for God. But that's not it. Well, it's this or that or the other. I've had people give me all these excuses. Do you know why Antioch is what it is today? One reason above all else. Simple, childlike faith in the Father. I have the simplest faith that I know of. It's simple. God speaks something to me. I don't argue with it. I don't try to figure it out. I just obey it. I just believe it. 
we had a we had a we had a little building that was kind of given to us. We had to make payments on it, and it was two hundred sixty-five dollar a month church payments. And we were, we were, we were having to raise a special offering every month just to be able to make the church payments. And I was in prayer one morning, and God said, "Go out today. I'm going to give you a piece of property." So, I got up, and went to a realtor. How much money do we have in the bank? None. We just we just spent all the money in the. Well, that's not true. I, I take that back. Somebody had just put a thousand dollars. I think I, I, we'd got a check from my. My in, my father-in-law or somebody had a thousand dollars in the bank, and so he said, "Go, I'm going to give you a piece of property today." I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. He just said, "Go." So I go to the realtor. He shows us all these properties, and I, I couldn't afford any of them. He said, "Well, I, let, let me show you this other one. I know you can't afford it, and whatever. But let me show it to you." He took me up on the highway, stood me in the median. It was a four-lane divided highway with grass median. It was the first first four-lane highway of the United States. Ritchie Highway in Maryland was the first divided four-lane highway in the United States. It was built to connect Annapolis to Baltimore, and uh, it was to be the pattern of all future four-lane highways. And he took me up there and stood me in the median. He said, there's 33 acres here. And, and it's an old guy wanting to retire, and he's wanting to sell it for just, uh, uh, I forget what it was, $165,000. No, $185,000. And, uh, and, uh, and he said he could sell it for a lot more than that if he, he divided three parcels. But he wants to sell all three parcels together. He wants to get rid of it. He and his wife are splitting up. And he's whatever. And, and, and he told me the price. I, and I said to myself, there's no way. I turned away from him. The Lord said, tell him you'll take it. I said, How? He said, take that $1,000, give it to him as earnest money with the contract. Tell him you'll give him $10,000, give the seller $10,000 at settlement in 90 days and ask him to, to finance it. Ask the seller to finance it for uh, 7%. I turned around and the guy said, I'll take it, but here are the terms. And I told him the terms. The guy said he'll never do it. I said, yeah, in addition to that, uh, offer him 150 and he's going to take 165. He said, no way. I said, you have an obligation to submit my offer. I went by the house, got a check while he was writing up the contract, gave him, uh, gave him the, the, the check. And, um, <laughs> the old guy accepted it. That was the bad news. My life would have been a whole lot easier if he'd said no. Now, that $265 a month church payment I, could, I, I couldn't pay, I had a $2,000 a month property payment added to that. It was a great blessing. Property and no way to build. That was 1976. We didn't turn a spade of dirt out there to, to actually begin to put a building up till June of 82. We paid that $2,000 a month every month. Pain, suffering, pressure, 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 pressure. Simple, childlike faith. 
Is he your father? Is he your father? Do you have children? Do they worry about what they're going to eat? Do they worry if they're going to have clothes to put on? Do they worry about being taken care of? Are you a better father than Jesus? Then where's the doubt come in? Where are the questions? Where's the pressure? Where's the struggle? Where, where's, all, where's the difficulty? I'm not being facetious. This isn't a nice little thing. I can't get across to you how important this one point is. Do you know how many Pentecostals don't have any joy because they don't have a father? They have a God, they have a Lord, they have a Savior, they don't have a Father. They don't have a Father, that's right, that's right. They don't have a Father. We can't even call Him Father. We're afraid we'll sound Trinitarian. Well, Jesus was a Trinitarian then, because that's what He called Him, Father. You cannot go to this place of prayer that God wants us to go to unless you end up finding somehow childlike faith in the Father. My God. My God. Now this next one's going to be very, very difficult. Stand up, son. Young, older son. David, please. My son. Both my sons here and my youngest grandchild. Is in the house. Y'all don't know how blessed you are. How many children you have, son? Four children. The oldest two are girls. The youngest two are boys, right? Which one of those do you love the most? You really are mean to imply you love them all the same. Is there ever a time that three of them behave and one of them doesn't? So when that one doesn't behave... They don't get treated as well as the other three, right? Pardon? They still do. They still get treated the same. So is there, is there ever a time when one of the four really does something outstanding? Does that one get treated better than the other three? We... As Pentecostals have got to be delivered from the performance mentality that determines that God loves us based on how successful we are or doesn't love us based on how much we have failed. We, no loving father would treat his children like that. You cannot go to the place of prayer God's calling you while success and failure are in your vocabulary. When you feel like a success and you feel like a failure. If I feel good about how well I've done when one prays through, and I feel like I have failed when one leaves. That's why God can't trust me with what He's trying to give me. 
You, you don't have to accept that if you don't want to. But these hairs that have waved bye-bye and the ones that have turned gray, let me tell you something. I paid a price to learn that one right there. It has nothing to do with success or failure. It has nothing to do with success or failure. If, if I prayed six hours today, God's not going to bless me. You, ooh, you ready for you traditionalists to go get, hey, I, Starbucks open? Some folks are going to need some coffee after this statement. If I pray six hours today, I haven't earned one bit more from God than if I fell into some bad sin tomorrow that He'd take away from me. Woo! I knew that was going to be a problem. I knew that was going to be a problem. See, because tradition says different, doesn't it? Uh, wait a minute. We reap what we sow. Really? Really? You talk about an abused, misused verse. David said, if you had punished me according to my sin, to my iniquity, you think these little bit of problems that happened to me in me or my life is God punishing me for my sin? I'm reaping what I sow? That's hogwash! That's of the devil. That whole concept is of the devil. Why? Because instead of having a relationship, it's a contest. Let's see if I can keep your word today, Lord. Oops, I broke some commandments today, Lord. I, I, I Mark some off my score. You cannot get to this place of prayer. Because the, the average Pentecostal, if they pray, pray for two reasons only. Three, actually. One is obligation, period. Two, they pray because they got problems. They want God to do something about it. Three, they pray to make sure they're still saved. And once they know they're forgiven and they're still saved, they got nothing left to talk to Jesus about. And we cannot go where God wants us to go while we live in that kind of mentality. It's not biblical. It's not, it's not of God. It's not pleasing to God. Now, I, I need to make this next statement so I can clarify my statement. So, so I can put perspective on my statement. I'm going to make a statement here in just a moment. But before I make it, I would like for you to know I am shock of all shocks. Once again, the district superintendent of Maryland, D.C. Now you got that in your mind. I'm a part of the structure. Did not seek the job, didn't want the job, was told by the Holy Ghost just to let my name stand, didn't really expect to get the job. Okay? That being said, I am not in the United Pentecostal Church because I believe in or agree with the structure. There is no biblical basis for our structure. Easy to prove. Right now, I will turn the microphone to you and you can preach the rest of the evening till it's Brother Morgan's time. All you have to do is give me one verse where God made his decisions based on the opinion of the majority. 
ever. The democratic process is not in this book. I don't have to say anything else. I don't have to say anything else. Why do we have a democratic process? Because we don't want to trust God. Because we're too afraid we wouldn't be in control. So please understand. I vote. I'm going to a general board meeting. First one in 15 years. I'm going to vote. Do I believe it's sin? No. Do I believe it's apostolic? Nobody in his right mind can say it is. It's not even spiritual. It's carnal. The will of the brethren has never equated the will of God. Ever, 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 ever. In fact, God said it was the will, His will for David to be king. He was 17. It took the first bunch of them 13 years to catch up to the will of God. then why am I in the United Pentecostal Church? Because I'm staying in fellowship with the brotherhood. I believe in the brotherhood. And I'll tell you what else I believe in. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. <laughs> if we have fellowship, one with another, the blood... Of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I am not going to go out there and fellowship with every Tom, Dick, and Harry that hasn't even been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost because there is no blood. The blood is in the body. Do I agree with all this? Absolutely not. And now these gray hairs give me a little more liberty to say something about that. They don't have to agree with it. But I got a voice. Didn't used to have a voice. Hadn't had a voice for a while. Why? Because I'm not wasting my life just maintaining some man-made structure. I want to be a part of an end time apostolic worldwide revival. Well, uh, I had a uh, really good hamburger at Backyard Burger. Burger. If some of y'all are really that hungry, you can go ahead. I'll, I'll be done in a little bit. This means something to me. This is important to me. I've given my life to this. I had other options. I had something else I could have done. This day, the number one military man in the entire United States of America, his name is Mike Mullen. We stood on the same field together. Raised our right hand, took the same oath of office and was commissioned together. We threw our hats in the air together. He's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's got four stars on his shoulders. And if a real war broke out, he'd have five stars because Admiral of the Navy is is a wartime rank. I wouldn't trade places with him for anything 
Because I've chosen the right path. I've chosen to be a part of something that's significant. And that's not just having a few church services. Man of God. God. The whole idea that we can define church any other way than a move of God where lives are permanently affected. To call it tradition is a nice word. I can think of some other words that I don't use. You can't play the music good enough. You can't have enough demonstration to call it a move of God. You can't soak your soup down enough doing our little cultural preaching thing and calling it anointing. I want to move a God. I want to see stuff happen. I don't mean entertainment stuff. I mean lives change, people delivered. People that the next time you see them, you don't even recognize them. That something's happened in their life. I don't have time for this. I got to move here. Be seated. First thing is relationship with Jesus. Second thing is childlike faith in the Father. Third is complete trust and surrender. But you and I will never completely trust and surrender to God until we are absolutely convinced that God, not the devil, is in control. Well, don't you pray against spirits? When I'm told to. The devil never, hardly ever enters my mind. My concern is Jesus. It takes every bit of my focus just to stay focused on Jesus. I don't want to play patty cake with the devil all day long. Let me tell you something. This is a hard one to accept. This is hard. But I know a little bit of the details. He and I are friends and brothers, and we've been there for each other most of the time, along with others. And I, I know a little bit about the situation he's in, and it's, a, it's tough. It is really tough. But here's the problem. I also know, because I've been part of the process from all through it. He, he, he's told me, look, I, I, everything I've done, I, did, I prayed about it. I did it exactly like the Lord told me to do it. And the thing, it, it, it's, so, it's so difficult. I, I, it's amazing. I, it's just amazing. And it hadn't changed. He didn't tell you that. In fact, without a major miracle, it's not going to change. It's not going to get better with time. Is it? No. There is absolutely no natural solution for your problem. And he's in the big middle of it because he prayed every step of the way. Here's traditional Pentecost. God sure must be mad with you. you got to be kidding me. God is in control 
of everything. Oh, come on, brother. Right. You don't believe. Absolutely. I can't speak for those people out there. But I am his child. There is nothing that happens in my life. Good, bad, tragic, horrible, great. Nothing that happens in my life. That he's not in absolute 100% control of. You know, it's easy to say that. That's why I said, I'm not preaching this to condemn you and say you ought to be doing this right now. Because there are times I've lived this way. There are other times I haven't been able to live this way. But this is where I want to go. I want to get there. Because Jesus is in control. That's why it's impossible to say success, failure. He's in control. He didn't call me to build a church. He said he was the church builder. You know what success is? Did you do the will of God today? You know what failure is? Did you not do the will of God today? And you know what happens? If I fail to do the will of God today, you know what I got to do to take care of that? Jesus, forgive me. I realize I didn't do your will today. Now, you know what he wants me to do as soon as I do that? Go on. He doesn't want me to wallow there. Why? Because every moment I wallow there, I'm not in tune with him doing what he wants me to do. He and I aren't being partners. It is only the adversary that wants you to wallow in your sin. Oh, but brother, right, there's some sins so horrible that you just got to spend a long time getting over those. All I want to see is chapter and verse. I tell you a secret. There's not a person in this room that within the last 12 months hasn't done something they wouldn't want anybody in this world to know. Not one of us. And if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves. Am I excusing sin? Not by 10,000 miles. But he, the man of God preached this morning. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you would suffer for the sin. He suffered for the sin so that you would get up and go on because there's a world going to hell. Oh God. No, no. This is the, this the, this is the favorite part of the Pentecostal catechism. I know what I said. Because there's no religious group in Christianity we're closer to than the Catholics. In every good and bad way. They are the closest to the plan of salvation. They actually believe you have to be baptized to be saved. They believe you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. They call it confirmation. But they believe you've got to have the Holy Ghost. Name any other part of Christianity that believes you have to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost to be saved. I can't help if they've taken the power out of it. They still preach it. But we, we, oh, friend. <laughs> we may have come back from the dark, dark ages of the doctrine. But we haven't come back from the dark ages of earning our salvation. 
You can't become a true partner with Jesus Christ in prayer that affects the entire world. One of the first things Brother Barnes ever said to me, and I didn't meet him till he was in his late 60s. He said to me, Brother Wright, you know, you know if you've ever been around him, you feel like you're not wearing any clothes whatsoever. None. And what you, if, you, if you haven't been around him, or if you have, you know what I'm talking about. You think he's rambling, but if you're not paying attention, you're about to get hit upside the head. Because he does, he doesn't, it looks like he's firing shots across the bow, but they're not really. He's just, he's just walking it in, you know, just walking them right in. He's, he's saying, here it comes, get ready. He said to me, Brother Wright, the adversary knows that it only takes the smallest amount of condemnation to neutralize the greatest amount of faith. It o- That's right. It only takes the smallest amount of condemnation to neutralize the greatest amount of faith. Do you know why we home missionaries? We. We. I'm a home missionary. Not was, am. I'm a long way from what God showed me we're go- what's going to happen in Annapolis, Maryland. And until it happens, I'm not going to be something other than a home missionary. You know why most of us struggle and have fear? Condemnation. You can't trust the Father when you feel unworthy. You can't trust Him. When you feel unworthy. I'm not worthy because of what I do. I'm worthy because of who I am. I'm not worthy because of what I do. I'm worthy because of who I am. I'm not like everybody else. I have the name of the family name of heaven and earth called on me. I have the family name. I am a partaker of the divine nature. The creator God of heaven and earth is my father. Yes, sir. And I'm not a better father than he is. I only discipline my boys when they refuse to acknowledge they're wrong. That's, that's the only reason you discipline. It's to get someone you love to acknowledge they're wrong when they won't acknowledge they're wrong. You say, oh, that's just an excuse. That's an easy license for sin. No, that doesn't work for long, you see. Not if you're deceiving yourself. But it's just as much deceiving yourself to think you're going to do this perfectly. Because God isn't, He made you lower than the angels. He gave you a weakness so that you always knew you needed Him. So you could never set yourself up on a throne and be like the Most High. <laughs> he doesn't want you to be, to, to, to be like the Most High. He wants to be the Most High through you. But you can't do that unless you're willing to be completely dependent upon Him. Let's pray a little bit. Just a minute here. Let me have that bottle, please. The bottle, 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 bottle. The bottle. Sorry.
I don't know if God's talking to anybody here other than me, but he's talking to me. There are some revelations he gives you that's a piece of the puzzle. You get a little chance to look at that piece and say, wow, that's amazing. But you don't really understand the significance of that piece. You think it's a, you think it's a revelation. It's only a piece of a revelation, but you don't know that when you get it. You think, ooh, what a revelation. I've got the revelation of peace. i got the revelation of trust. i got the re- revelation of righteousness. But none of those things have any real significance until you find out how they relate one to another. That's what the Lord's trying to do here today. He's trying to do this in your life, but you're fighting him. How do I fight him? I'll tell you how. Come here, Brother Shatwell. Here's how you fight him. Oh, Jesus, I got all this pressure. I got all this. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. Tell, did the Lord supply this need? Oh, God supply. If, that's fighting God. That's fighting God. You know what he wants you to be praying? Okay, Lord. Whatever you're trying to do in my life right now, I accept it. I know you're my father. I know you love me. And I trust you. So if I'm resisting what you're trying to say to me and do to me, Lord, give me the grace to, to respond. Give me the grace, Lord. I, I yield to this work you're doing in my life right now, Lord. I respond. Do you know we spend our time trying to pray off the blessings? The things that God brings my way to bring me to the end of myself so that I turn to him. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. But we don't pray to get right with God. We pray to get rid of the blessing. Oh God, I'm sick. That's what I'm trying to say to you. God's in control. If I'm sick, maybe He's just telling me to slow down. Maybe. You know how I know that? Because after I lay down a little bit and rest a little bit, I feel great. Hey, I'm ready to go again. Now if he's got something else in mind, I lay down. It starts getting worse. Call the ambulance. Go lay up in the hospital and lay there and go, Oh, what did I do, God? I'm so sorry for all of my sins. I can't think of anything right now, but please forgive me. (laughs) And so you lay in the bed and just seek for every little thing you can think of that you've done wrong to try to repent because you're sure once you've repented of all your sins all this is going to leave and then when it doesn't leave it must be the devil so now I'm going to start rebuking stuff I rebuke this thing I rebuke this thing I rebuke this thing wait wait a minute the father has a place for you in his purpose He's got to get you ready for it. I said this to a couple of guys, but I'm going to say it to you again. Stand up. Yeah, God's been using you mightily. That's awesome. Yeah, but you've gotten such tunnel vision of what you do. And the Holy Ghost has been stirring you up to do other stuff. So you've been praying about doing that other stuff. And, and, and now you've embraced that. You want to do this other stuff. But it hadn't started really yet. It happened a time or two, but you can't count on it. So you're a little reluctant to trust it because you can't count on it. Because God's giving you a little taste of it, so but you can't count on it. You can count on this other thing, so it's the fallback thing. But there's a hunger for other stuff. Do you think God 
That he came up with that? You think that's ego? Or is it possible that God put that in his heart to go to another place? And you think if God puts a seed of something new in you, that you're going to birth that thing without travail? You think you're going to birth that without travail? But if you're not trusting God... David's wife got pregnant eight times, had four babies. Joel's wife, they just had their first one a little less than six months ago. But you know, some problems finally conceived, carried full term. And, and, and I've been privileged. It's a privilege, I acknowledge that. Never dreamed it would be this way. Expected my sons to go and do something in the ministry thousands of miles away from me like I have from my folks. One lives across the street and the other lives a mile away. And I have been privileged to be in town and at the hospital for all five of my grandchildren's births. And of course, being the dad, my mom was in, in the delivery room and I didn't ask to be, of course. But I'm outside the door and I can hear everything going on. And let me tell you something. At the, it, during that travail... You know, it's like, I, I, I don't want to go forward, but I can't go back. This hurts. This is horrible pain. This is terrible. But, oh, friend, once that baby comes out of there and the travail's over with, it doesn't take long to forget it. And, 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 and then I, just living with a woman for, for 39 years, to just watch that thing begin to happen to her that wants a baby again. And, of course, we made decisions seven years ago because of our involvement in the kingdom to only have two. But her, watch her live vicariously through two daughters-in-law that love her very much and have let her be a part of the process of all five births. To watch that thing happen to her. See that thing stir up to want to birth something again. Let me tell you something. Do you think God puts within the heart of His church the desire to want to birth something and you're going to have that birth with no pain? You've got to trust God with it. It's a part of the process. It's the process. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean that, that you're out of the will of God. It's the process. It's the process. But the devil attacks all of that. He doesn't want us to believe all of that. If you told me even 20 years ago, we've been there 37 years now, if you'd have told me even 20 years ago we wouldn't be any farther along than we are today, I'd have called you an absolute liar. Everything about the situation frustrates my flesh. That little old auditorium, that entire church knows that I hate that place. Because it felt like we were going backwards. I have voiced that opinion from the pulpit. I hate this place. I do. Because I don't want to go backwards. But you know what I do? I give thanks for that place. And for that slab out that window that I can, I can look out that sanctuary and see. Four and a half years now I can see that. And the insurance company wouldn't even let us haul off the debris for almost nine months. 
So every day you show up for, to, for work, for the building, all of that debris of that building is sitting out there because they were doing their best to try to prove somehow it was our fault that it collapsed. You know what? I got to give thanks to that. Why? God is in control. Are you praying to build? I'm not praying to build. Are you praying about the situation? No. I'm planning how to start more congregations. The pastor preached Sunday night. Woo, my Lord, did he preach. I walked up. I'm the bishop. I walked up, took, took the microphone, said, I'm going to give the altar call. There's only one problem I got here. I'm not the pastor. Tonight, his faith is connected with your faith and, 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 and the plans. God's going to take this thing forward. Now, I can do my part. Because I haven't been able to do my part for the last year and a half since he became pastor. Because I had to get out of the way. Because everybody's wanting to ride my faith. And I had to disconnect my faith from it and let them flounder while his faith rose up and they finally accepted his faith. Because it is not my responsibility to provide the faith anymore. So once that happened, now I can do my part. So I took the microphone and did the altar call. You know what the altar call was? I've been looking around here. I can't find but about maybe 10 people that are ready to be a congregational pastor. I don't care who you are, young or old. I don't care if you backslid and we need to pray you through down this altar. I don't care if you're male or female. It doesn't matter to me. If you're willing to, to submit to this, when I'm in town on Saturday mornings, you meet me at 7 a.m., and your purpose of coming here is whatever I ask you to do, you're going to do it to get ready to be a congregational leader. Come up. The front of that school auditorium filled up. There must have been 150 people up there. And we had a bunch of people out of town that would have been up there on vacation. What's the point I'm trying to get to you? I got a place. I'm not going to wrestle with my son for his place. God did this. I didn't. I was only 59. I wasn't ready to step down. God said, I got something else for you to do. And I'm not retired. You know, we don't even use biblical terminology. We use bishop as an honorary title. That's not synonymous with pastor emeritus. He's, he has the spiritual responsibility for that body. I have the authority over the structure. He's got to take care of getting people to heaven. My responsibility is to take care of those leaders, make sure they're doing right. That's my job. It's my place. Except for high school football, when I played in, every football I've ever played in my life, I don't care how old I was, I played quarterback. I like to play quarterback. I like to call the plays. I like to throw the ball. I like to do that. You know what God said? Enjoy it. Because my ultimate place for you is on the sidelines coaching, not in the game. That's my place for you. Now, I can be angry with that. I can fuss with that. Or I can say, okay, Lord, it's your purpose that counts, not mine. I can tell you right now, I'm going to have to continue this tomorrow because I haven't got to the punchline yet. I'm a ways from the punchline. 
Jacob wrestled with God one time, but some of y'all wrestle with God every day. You don't enjoy prayer and you're not called to prayer because prayer is a constant struggle with you trying to get God to do what you want Him to do. You see so little happen in prayer. And you're so frustrated, frustrated with prayer. And you feel like prayer is such a waste of time. Because nothing happens when I pray. And the reason is because most of your effort is to try to talk God into doing what you want Him to do. This place of prayer I'm talking about has nothing to do with that. It has only one goal. Just to be a vessel, a conduit through which God can work every day. Every day. Every day. I just want to be there. I can't get there without suffering. I've got to learn to trust God. I've got to demonstrate to God he can count on me. That if he wants me to stop and pray this month, I'll stop. But let me tell you something. In this life of prayer, it's, it's, it, there isn't really a prayer time. It's a constant fellowship in your heart and spirit with God. There may be more formal times where you stop and pray. But Paul said, I, I make mention of you in my prayers. You know what that means? It's not acceptable for this to be the only thing. But it is valid prayer to be driving down the highway and you pop in my brain and say, Brother, Brother Phelps, Lord, Lord bless Brother Phelps today. I don't know what he's going through, but I just want, want to mention his name to you today. Lord, in Jesus' name. You say, what good does that do? I don't know. Paul did a lot of it. Paul did a lot of it. Why? It was a conversation. It was a relationship. I've always traveled some, but not like this. Lord have mercy. And that was all before I became district superintendent again. And now so life is just whatever. And my wife, she's wonderful. She doesn't mind me going as long as I let her stay home as much as possible. Not that she doesn't miss me, but the grandchildren need her. That's one of the excuses. But you know something? Let me see that phone out of there. You can curse, curse these all you want, but my Lord... There's just times that throughout the day I'm out of town. I don't care whether I don't care what the phone bill is. If I'm an African, I need I need to hear her voice. I'll pay the bill at the end of the month. I need to talk to her. It's we're not talking about a long conversation. I just need to talk to her. I need to hear her voice. I want to tell her I love her. And so it's not unusual when I'm out of town. Three, four, five, six, seven, ten times a day. Not long conversations. Not usually. I, everything, I, I love you. Why? Because I have a relationship. And this allows me to have a small portion of the relationship available to me with Jesus. Because I don't have to worry about the bill. I don't have to worry about dropped calls. I can talk to him anytime, anywhere. I can tell him I love him. 
He can put somebody in my mind. I can pray about it one minute or an hour. It doesn't make any difference because he and I got a thing going on. It's just, we're just together in this. It's a relationship. You don't have to pray for yourself. You don't have to pray about your needs. All you have to do is just be in touch. I'm available. I'm available, Lord. What you got to say? Is there a need going on someplace? Is there a problem someplace? Now that message was very heavy this morning. And this, this one didn't, doesn't have that feeling, does it? Do you know why? Because we have never learned that God takes this stuff and lays heavy on us. Not for the purpose of weighing us down and whatever. But in getting our attention so he can point us where he wants us to go. No, no. He sees the end. You have, you have to watch him go through it. Do you apologize to him? Does he apologize to you for watching him? It sure, it hurts you, but you know it's necessary. So you can't step in and fix it. You got to let it happen. You got to let it happen. Because if you don't let it happen, he's never going to become what God wants him to be naturally or spiritually. That's the hardest thing of all, knowing you can do something about the pain, but having to let it go until it's time. It takes trust in the Father to believe that. When, you, when prayer can change anything, and yet the Lord won't give you any liberty and anointing to pray for your deal, but you're praying for this and that and the other, and it's happening... Hey, I don't know all of Brother Barnes's details, but from the little I know of his life, how many problems were there? How much pain? How many family problems were? You'd have thought if there was anybody in this world could have touched God for their family and things would have changed, it would have been T.W. Barnes. But it didn't happen. He said to me one, one of my few visits with him, uh, I sat across the desk from him. He took off his glasses. He said, you see these? He said, you know how long I've been praying for God to let me see clearly one more time before I die? And he said, I've told, I've, I've said everything to God. I said, God, God, how can I pray for the sick? Isn't it a bad testimony to, to the sick I'm praying for, for them to see that I got glasses on? He said, the Lord told me this. I've left those glasses on you so they'll, they won't ever forget you're not the healer. Cause if you were the healer, you'd have healed yourself. Because you see, the sa- they said to the Savior, Physician, heal thyself. So if you're going to go to this place in God I'm preaching about today, there's going to be things in your life God's never going to fix. And you've got to be willing to give thanks to God for those things. Instead of being bitter because of them, instead of being resentful because of them, you've got to be, you've got to be thankful to God for them. Because they're the things that keep you reminded. Brother William Sisko has been one of my best friends my whole life. He believed in me a lot of times when nobody else did, at least it felt that way. Stuck by me. He said to me years ago, he said, you know, I went through a period of time when I didn't pray for the sick very often. The Lord said, Bill, why aren't you praying for the sick? 
He said, Lord, because I'm afraid they're not going to get healed. He said, the, he said the Lord said this to him. You may have heard this from somebody else. and Maybe the Lord said it to them too. He said the Lord said to him, Bill, if you're going to take the blame when they don't get healed, then you're going to take the credit when they do. You got, we've got to get this. Because if, I've got to, if somebody's got to know, I'm the one that prayed. Yeah. I just want you to know, on such and such a date, God spoke to me and I prayed for you. And that's why you're healed, because I prayed for you. To go to this place of prayer I'm talking about, you've got to be willing to not find out the results of 95% of your prayers till you get to heaven. You're going to have to believe in prayer when you don't see anything. When you don't even know the person you're praying for. When you don't even know what you're praying for. I'm going to use this as the bridge for tomorrow. So Romans chapter 8 verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do we with patience wait for it. Likewise. Likewise. I hope for stuff I don't see. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What's our infirmity? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In my study of the original language there, not, not from my own knowledge of the Greek, but reading scholars and whatever, I believe that the, the, the literal translation of that would be he makes intercession with us by enabling us to put our feelings into words. What words? It has to be tongues. The Spirit itself enables me to pray. Putting those things I'm feeling inside that I don't understand what I'm feeling in prayer. Now, Brother Shatwell was standing up here, and I felt led to come over and pray for him. I laid hands on him and started talking in tongues. I don't have a clue what I prayed for. I don't know what I prayed for. I don't know what I asked God. But let me tell you what I do know. Next verse. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There is no time in this world when I'm praying more perfectly the will of God than when I'm praying in tongues. What does the next verse say? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. This is the basis for this prayer I'm talking about. It's the basis. It's the basis for this prayer. It's the basis for it. So... In this partnership with God, some things I'll pray about in English. Some things I'll know the person I'm praying for, but won't even know what I'm praying for. Sometimes I'll just be praying in tongues. I won't know who or what or why or whatever I'm praying. But I'm a servant of God. I am a yielded vessel given to prayer. Give myself to prayer. For instance, stand up, brother. Now, 
This man's got needs. Right? Yes, sir. You got needs. I don't know what they are, do I? Let's see if I'm going to read his mail. No. But I'm going to join with him right now and pray for those needs. And I am absolutely confident that when I pray, I'm going to be praying in the perfect will of God for those those needs. In Jesus' name. I'm going to say this to you. Okay, listen. Thank you, Jesus. And I was getting ready for this service today. And I'm not trying to be weird or spooky here. Just telling you that you're not picked at random. The Lord told me I was going to pray at the end of my session today for the guy sitting right here. So whatever that need is, whatever it is God's ready to do, we're going to pray for it. God's going to take care of it. And I don't know what it is. And you don't have to tell me. I don't, in fact, I don't want you to tell me. Because I'm going to have confidence when I pray. God's listening. I don't need to be told. Ready? Itahasukiekolorutabahaya. He manoye suha. Ilo rubukuta satabahaya ananamaha. Ilo rubuhuta mahasaha. Ikuta hasa ma. Ilo rubukuta samanaha. Ilo rubukurubu satabahaya. Ye sikie kala rotata bahaya. Ye kula rotabahasatabahaya. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now sometimes when I'm praying for a person like that, I'll have a mental image come to my mind. And I'll tell them about that, whatever God gives me about it. Sometimes when I'm praying with a person like that, I, the, a thought will come through my mind in reference to whatever. Then I'll tell that person that thought. But in this particular case, I felt the Holy Ghost. I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. You know what the Lord wants me to do? Walk away and say, thank you, Jesus. That's it. I'm not taking ownership of something. I don't want some miracle I need to put my name to. Well, I prayed. Hey, in this partnership, I'm talking about this finest hour, this ultimate place. Credit will be the last thing on your mind. The blessing is just knowing that you trust God and that He trusts you to be a part of what He's doing. That's the blessing. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. What in the world was it? You know what? Please, please hear what I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't believe that Paul, uh, that the 12 apostles were saying, now we need somebody to wait on these tables because we got to go get us some sermons together for the next conference that's coming. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. I believe they were saying, we have reached a place. We spent time with him. We learned him. We learned we could trust him. We learned he trusted us with all this. He put all this stuff in us and left. And while this is very important, and look at the qualifications of those that did the waiting on tables. And not maybe not everybody will get to this ultimate place. Not that the prayers are any, any less important. But there are people in this room today... That God is calling to this place. 
calling to this place. But it's all about me. How I'm doing. How I'm performing. Uh, you know, when things are going well, God's happy with me. When things aren't going well, God's mad with me. It's me, 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 me. Brother J.T. Pugh made this statement in a meeting years and years ago that I was in. He said, humility, true biblical humility is not thinking disparaging or disparagingly of yourself. True humility is not thinking of yourself at all. True humility is not trying to be less than somebody because you don't want to be proud. True humility is thinking about the other guy and not even thinking about yourself. Some folks are really discouraged where the church is. <laughs> that is so ludicrous, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Just depends on what you call church. In every local church, there is a true church within a church. There's a church in the crowd. Within every part of the apostolic movement, there is the church that's a part of the crowd. And the church is fine. The church is fine. Because Jesus is in control. And there's nothing wrong with us he can't fix. I'm not saying he's going to fix all of us. But everybody that's truly his, no problem fixing what's his. Hallelujah. I have obeyed God for today. I haven't left you on some big high. I've obeyed God. But is, is, there, is there any kind of hunger or thirst for this in here? Some of you, let's, let's raise our hands a minute. I'm going to talk just a second while you're praying to yourself a little bit here. Some of you feel like I'm, I am proposing a very passive lifestyle where you just let yourself become a punching bag for the devil. See, there's your problem. I'm not. The devil can't touch me unless the Father allows him to, and there's always a purpose. I don't have, I'm not passive at all. I'm trusting because I want my heart and my focus and my spirit to be on something other than me, my, and mine. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and talk to him. Come on. Let's just stand right here where we are. Come on. Don't, don't get down on yourself if you didn't get all this. I don't have all of it either. And I've been working on this, the elements of this for years. But the Holy Ghost has put some of this, put this in some of your hearts. Come on. Don't let it frustrate you. Acknowledge this, Lord. Without you, I can do nothing. I'm willing to go to this place, but you're going to have to take me. Teach me how to let you take me there, Lord. Teach me how to let you help me to get there. Because I can't get there through effort, Father. I can't get there through my own ability, Father. I can only get there as you take me there. For without you, 
I can do nothing. But here I am, Father. If you want me to go there, I submit to you. Help me to recognize what you're doing in my life to take me there. Help me, Father. Help me. Help me to to not resist it. Help me to not resent it. Help me to yield to it. Help me to respond to it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.